This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Maria Almvang, Copenhagen, Denmark, November 2006. The Rosary by Florence L. Barclay. Chapter 36. The Revelation of the Rosary. Simpson was crossing the hall just before half-past six o'clock. He had left his master in the library. He heard a rustle just above him, and, looking up, saw a tall figure descending the wide oak staircase. Simpson stood transfixed. The soft black evening gown, with its trailing folds and old lace at the bosom, did not impress him so much as the quiet look of certainty and power on the calm face above them. "'Simpson,' said Jane, "'my aunt, the Duchess of Meldrum, and her maid, and her footman, and a rather large quantity of luggage, will be arriving from Aberdeen at about half-past seven. Mrs. Graham knows about preparing rooms, and I've given James orders for meeting the train with the brougham and the luggage cart. The Duchess dislikes motors. When her grace arrives, you can show her into the library. We will dine in the dining-room at a quarter-past eight. Meanwhile, Mr. Dalmain and myself are particularly engaged just now, and must not be disturbed on any account until the Duchess's arrival. You quite understand?' "'Yes, Miss, my lady,' stammered Simpson. He had been boot-boy in a ducal household early in his career, and he considered Duchess's nieces to be people before whom one should bow down. Jane smiled. "'Miss is quite sufficient, Simpson,' she said, and swept towards the library. Garth heard her enter and close the door, and his quick ear caught the rustle of a train. "'Hullo, Miss Gray,' he said. "'Packed your uniform?' "'Yes,' said Jane. "'I told you I was packing.' She came slowly across the room, and stood on the hearthrug, looking down at him. He was in full evening dress, just as at Shenstone on that memorable night. And, as he sat well back in his deep armchair, one knee crossed over the other, she saw the crimson line of his favourite silk socks. Jane stood looking down upon him. Her hour had come at last. But even now she must, for his sake, be careful and patient. "'I did not hear the song,' she said. "'No,' replied Garth. "'At first I forgot. "'And when I remembered, I had been thinking of other things, "'and somehow, ah, oh, Miss Gray, I cannot sing to-night. "'My soul is dumb with longing.' "'I know,' said Jane, gently. "'And I am going to sing to you.' "'A faint look of surprise crossed Garth's face. "'Do you sing?' he asked. "'Then why have you not sung before?' "'When I arrived,' said Jane, "'Dr. Robb asked me whether I played. "'I said, a little.' Thereupon he concluded that I sang a little, too, and he forbade me, most peremptory, either to play a little or sing a little to you. He said he did not want you driven altogether mad. Garth burst out laughing. How like old Robbie, he said, and, in spite of his injunctions, are you going to take the risk and sing a little to me tonight? No, said Jane, I take no risks. I am going to sing you one song. Here's the purple cord at your right hand. There is nothing between you and the piano, and you are facing towards it. If you want to stop me, you can come. She walked over to the instrument and sat down. Over the top of the grand piano she could see him, leaning back in his chair, a slightly amused smile playing about his lips. He was evidently still enjoying the humour of Dr. Robb's prohibition. The rosary has but one opening chord. She struck it, her eyes upon his face. She saw him sit up instantly, a look of surprise, expectation, bewilderment, gathering there. 
Then she began to sing. The deep, rich voice, low and vibrant, as the softest tone of cello, thrilled into the startled silence. The hours I spend with thee, dear heart, are as a string of pearls to me. I count them over every one apart, my rosary, my rosary. Each hour pearl. Jane got no further. Garth had risen. He spoke no word, but he was coming blindly over to the piano. She turned on the music stool, her arms held out to receive him. Now he had found the woodwork. His hand crashed down upon the bars. Now he had found her. He was on his knees, his arms around her. Hers enveloped him, yearning, tender, hungry with the repressed longing of all those hard weeks. He lifted his sightless face to hers for one moment. You, he said. You? You, all the time. Then he hid his face in the soft lace at her breast. Oh, my boy, my darling, said Jane tenderly, holding the dear head close. Yes, I, all the time. All the time near him in his loneliness and pain. Could I have stopped away? But, oh, Garth! What it is at last to hold you and touch you and feel you here. Yes, it is I. Oh, my beloved, are you not quite sure? Who else could hold you thus? Take care, my darling. Come over to the couch, just here, and sit beside me. Garth rose and raised her without losing her, and she guided herself and him to a safer seat close by. But there again he flung himself upon his knees and held her, his arms around her waist, his face hidden in the shelter of her bosom. "'Ah, oh, darling, darling,' said Jane softly, and her hand stole up behind his head with a touch of unspeakable protective tenderness. "'It has been so sweet to wait upon my boy, and to help him in his darkness, and shield him from unnecessary pain, and be always there to meet his every need. But I could not come myself until he knew and understood.' and had forgiven, no, not forgiven, understood, and yet still loved. For does he now understand? And does he forgive? Oh, Garth, oh, hush, my darling, you frighten me. No, I will never leave you, never, never. Oh, can't you understand, my beloved? Then I must tell you more plainly. Darling, do be still and listen. Just for a few days we must be, as we have been, only my boy will know it is I who am near him. Aunt Gina is coming this evening. She'll be here in half an hour. Then, as soon as possible, we will get a special license, and we will be married, Garth, and then... Jane paused, and the man who knelt beside her held his breath to listen. And then, continued Jane in a low, tender voice, which gathered in depth of sacred mystery, yet did not falter. Then it will be my highest joy to be always with my husband, night and day. A long, sweet silence. The tempest of emotion in her arms was hushed to rest. The eternal voice of perfect love had whispered, Peace, be still. And there was a great calm. At last Garth lifted his head. Always, always together, he said. Ah, that will be perpetual light. When Simpson, 
pale with importance, flung open the library door and announced, Her Grace, the Duchess of Meldrum. Jane was seated at the piano, playing soft dreamy chords, and a slim young man, in evening dress, advanced with eager hospitality to greet his guest. The Duchess did either not see, or chose to ignore, the guiding chord. She took his outstretched hand warmly in both her own. "'Goodness gracious, my dear Dell, how you surprise me! I expected to find you blind, and here you are, striding about, just your old handsome self.' "'Dear Duchess,' said Garth, and stooping, kissed the kind old hand still holding his. "'I cannot see you, I am sorry to say, but I don't feel very blind to-night. My darkness has been lighted by a joy beyond expression.' "'Oh, ho! So that's the way the land lies? Now which are you going to marry? The nurse?' who I gather is a most respectable young person, and highly recommended, or that hussy, Jane, who, without the smallest compunction, orders her poor aunt from one end of the kingdom to the other, to suit her own convenience. Jane came over from the piano, and slipped her hand through her lover's arm. Dear Aunt Gina, she said, you know you loved coming, because you enjoy a mystery, and like being a dear old deus ex machina at the right moment. And he's going to marry them both because they both love him far too dearly ever to leave him again, and he seems to think he cannot do without either. The Duchess looked at the two radiant faces, one sightless, the other with glad proud eyes for both, and her own filled with tears. Hoity-toity, she said, are we in Salt Lake City? Well, we always thought one girl would not do for Dal. He would need the combined perfections of several, and he appears to think he has found them. God bless you both, you absurdly happy people and I will bless you too, but not until I have dined. Now ring for that very nervous person with side whiskers, and tell him I want my maid, and my room, and I want to know where they have put my toucan. I had to bring him, Jane. He is so loving, dear bird. I knew you would think him in the way, but I really could not leave him behind. End of chapter 36